Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined as always by Dave and Becky. On today's show, we recap a strong weekend for the Blue Shirts, who swept a back-to-back with two wins over division rivals and seem to have righted the ship. We'll also discuss the awakenings of Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco, who silenced their doubters for at least a day with encouraging performances on Sunday night. And we'll answer your questions, including finding out what Dave's favorite cocktail is. But first, Dave, welcome back. You obviously missed the show last week. How was the movie? The movie was great. Um, for those of you who don't know, for about four years prior to COVID, me and two of my roommates from college, we every Tuesday we'd go to uh, Bear Burger or eat. We go to dinner, usually Bear Burger, because it was like $5 for a 35-ounce beer. Have dinner, a, a couple of beers, and we go see a movie because the movies were like $5, you know. So COVID happened. We didn't do it. And this past Tuesday was the first time we actually got to do it again, and it was awesome. And I just got to say, Eternals is a fantastic movie. I don't understand the hate. I thought it was great. It was a great reset for the MCU, exactly what they needed to get into their next phase. And I'm also a slight nerd. I love my Marvel movies. So I love you guys. Becky, Rob, I love you guys. Uh, Tuesday movies is kind of a thing. So hope, luckily, there's like no movies until the summer. So I think we're fine. And what did you think of uh, Rob's performance? Dare you uh, assess his fill-in uh, spot on the show last week? I am the most useless person on this podcast. <laughs> Rob is very, very good. Uh, like, I- I'm here as, like, uh, I guess a jester. Rob is by far the smartest person on the blog. So um, it, it, he's fantastic. He absolutely amazing. I got nothing else to say. It was great to have Rob on, and I'm sure we'll have him on later in the year. We're going to have a, 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 most of the crew, whoever wants to come on from the blog, will make an appearance at some point you know, during the season. But, all right, listen, let's get into it. You know, The Rangers were coming off uh, a stretch of games where they were playing really poorly despite getting some wins, although they'd blown a couple of leads on the, uh, on the Canada swing and then eked out a 4-3 victory over Florida. We kind of went over that last week and how ugly it was, but... They got five days off and seemed to really reset, uh, which was great. So they went into uh, the game on Saturday night versus Columbus. And after a really slow first period, honestly, uh, which looked like a continuation of what had happened in the previous couple of weeks, they woke up and played really well. Um, I know neither of you guys actually watched the game. And, and again, you were, I think you were revisiting your college years at the Dave Matthews Band concert at, at MSG on Saturday night. But you know, just, you know, if you, if you watch the highlights, if you watch the condensed version of the game, uh, and even if you looked at the stats, you know, obviously it's a classic watch the game nerd uh, joke there. But, you know, the Rangers, after a slow first period, um, they did come out of it 1-1, but they really played well, particularly after Igor Shesterkin gave up a tough second goal to Columbus. It was 2-1, and the Rangers basically responded right away, popped in three quick goals in, in about a minute, minute and a half, um, and ended up, you know, playing a really solid third period in which they totally locked the game down. 
um, and actually created more offense in the third than they did in the, in the second when they took the lead. So that was very encouraging. And then, you know, Sunday night was, you know, for my money. Now, the Toronto game earlier in the year was exciting. But for my money, the Sunday night game against the Devils was the best and most exciting and most fun game to watch all season. Just a great back and forth hockey game uh, with ties and lead changes, a late goal, obviously three on three overtime, and then a really entertaining shootout that actually lived up to, you know, the hype that the I think the NHL originally was going for when they implemented the shootout, you know, 15 years ago or so. But, you know, uh, that's most fresh in our minds. Um, Becky, let's start with you. I mean, what were your takeaways from the, the game against the Devils? Uh, you know, obviously um, a little bit disappointing to give up a tying goal with two minutes and 40 seconds left. But I mean, the Rangers played a really solid game. I think you'd agree with that. Yeah. I mean, listen, you're not you could play the best. Well, OK, let me let's backtrack. So everyone's been, you know, a little bit frustrated, nervous, insert adjective here about hey, the other Rangers are getting wins, but, like, they're really sucking it up. So the other, you know, it could happen the other way around, too, where you play, like, really, really solid and you lose games. So, okay, you gave up a goal. Like, you can't expect that you're never going to give up a goal. It's not ideal on the end of the game because momentum and blah, blah, blah. But, like, at the same time, the other team's trying to get back in it. Obviously, the you know, the team you're playing, it has been down in this situation, in this case, a goal. So, there's more of that like need and I don't know what stat that is if that has been quantified yet or you know like like urge per 60 I don't even know what we would call it but (laughs) but (laughs) you can't you know it's not ideal but it's also not the end of the world what would have been the end of the world would be if in that case they then just completely shut down and let the Devils score a winning goal you know so okay I mean, overtime was a little bit nerve-wracking, especially you had, what, Panarin, Strom, and who was it, Fox out there for two minutes? I might be making up Fox, but... Yeah, it was that unit. Yeah, it was their second turn on So, I mean, that, like, got a little nerve-wracking, I think. But then, yeah, I... Look, I am a a huge... Like, I think we we get rid of the shootout. We bring back ties. We do, like, 10-minute three-on-three overtime. But I was happy that they didn't on Sunday night because the Rangers came away with the points and it was really entertaining. Um, Yeah. I mean, I thought it was great. And just to throw it back to Saturday night's game and talk about reliving our college days, I drank dinner on Saturday night and I didn't feel terrible on Sunday. So it truly was reliving my college. It wasn't just me. I felt fine too. I felt totally, it was probably all the pot in MSG to be completely honest, but yeah, yeah, there was definitely contact high there. Or the garden watered down your drinks that you were paying eighteen. Oh no! I the 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 bartender who was serving us was an absolute gem. Like I love her. I wish I got her name Mm -hmm. and I could call like a you know manager or something at the garden and be like, give her a raise. She's fantastic. Yeah, she was awesome. And also, the layout of the drinks when they do the bars there is really weird because they put all the bottles of booze in front of the of, of the bartenders there. So it's you, the bottles of booze, and then the bartender, and and she can't see what's in that front row. So I when I ordered my scotch, I literally had to hand her the bottle to pour it for me. 
Yeah, she was. Dave's like, can she I? She was can, so struggling, he, and I'm like, here. He was like, should I hand this to you? She's like, yeah, you should. And I was like, Duh. she was, she was a treat. So maybe we'll see if we could find her at a Ranger game. Hopefully, she's not just working the uh, concert yeah. circuit. Um, well, I guess Dave Matthews Dave, Band just got to play more MSG shows. I mean, uh, th- that was a that fantastic too. show for me, and obviously for Becky as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, looked like a fun night, a sold-out garden, an energetic garden, which was the case on Sunday. Uh, you know, uh, when the Rangers beat the Devils in a, in a shootout and Chris Kreider getting the, the shootout-winning goal. But, Dave, I wanted to ask what stood out, you know, to you from the, the Devils game as well, just, you know, more from a five-on-five perspective from, from the Rangers. So that last goal, I basically had an entire conversation with myself on Twitter. Uh, that last goal first... You shouldn't have the fourth line out there defending a lead like that that late. That's problem one. I get it. They've been good. They're the three slowest skaters on the team. That shouldn't happen. Second, you shouldn't have three guys below the goal line. Third, but they outnumbered the Devils three to two below the goal line. The Devils shouldn't have come away with that. Fourth, oh, I, I don't remember what the rest of this was. Uh, my memory is awful lately, but there was a lot wrong with that last goal that, listen, this team's not going to be perfect. This team, you take the baby steps, and from a five-on-five standpoint, yeah, the Devils may not be the best barometer, but you got to build confidence, and that's five straight periods where they've controlled play. And you can't... Mm-hmm. Like, like, there's nothing else to that. There are obvious roster holes. There are obvious process flaws right now. But you take these five periods. These are good video periods for the coaching staff for when the Rangers, and not if, when the Rangers eventually revert back and have a crap game. They can say, hey, remember that Devils game? And they can show them what they're supposed to do. Instead of telling them. They haven't had that game yet where they played a full 60 minutes and they said, hey, we can pull up any most of our shifts in this game. And they were good. And this is what you should be doing. Yeah. Also, yeah, Taco's starting to click yeah. with Stroman Panarin. Took long enough, but oh, 100%. finally starting to work. That, oh, that, yeah. And that was that line was, I think, coming for sure. And I think it actually took Panarin to kind of break out of his slump, which was another huge storyline, I think, from the weekend. Um, he had a huge game in Columbus. I think he had 11 shot attempts, two goals. He was taunting the crowd, um, you know, because he was getting booed every time he touched the puck. So he gave a little wave after both of his goals. Um, and then it was it was a force on uh, Sunday night as well and didn't have too many of those egregious turnovers. You know, Rob Luker last week mentioned, you know, he tries a lot of those long cross-ice passes, which are, you know, he can make them. He can thread them through three sticks and, you know, for a breakout or, or to set up a scoring chance in the offensive zone. And they were getting knocked down and, and oftentimes being turned into big scoring chances the other way. You know, he's starting to click a little bit better, as you said, Dave, with his line mates. Um, and Kako was an absolute beast. I mean, that's the word Gallant used in his postgame press conference. And that's how, you you know, you could describe him. I mean, to me, the goal he scored, which should have or could have been the game-winning goal was the most Rick Nash he's looked. And I think that that's the player that I think of when I, when I think of a potential ceiling for a second overall pick uh, and a guy like Capo Caco with his pedigree and raw skill. 
does not have the skating ability of Nash, um, you know, but could be that style of power forward and, and hopefully can be a 30 goal scorer at some point in his career. Um, Becky, I think you were going to jump in there and say something as well. I don't, did you have something? I think I got, I think it was going to be more of like a commentary and, you know, if we don't want to take this into like spicy, fiery take land, um, just rein me back in. But I saw today, you know, you've played five good periods of hockey. I don't think, I think for the most part, finally, Twitter has relaxed a little bit, uh, especially after. So Gallant, you know, there was a lot of drama with Lafreniere, specifically his ice time and just saying like, you know, you have people on one hand say Lafreniere needs to be playing more and Gallant like hates him and isn't letting him grow. And then people on the other hand saying that he's a bust and he needs to be sent down. So it's a little bit weird. And, you know, I, I say this, taking this with a grain of salt, because people are literally never happy. Um, I think that now that Gallant has given, you know, listen, Lafreniere still didn't have that much ice time in the Devils game. Kako did. Kako had close to 20 minutes. They also had the Blay injury. So that's something to, you know, note. Um, but I think, you know, he sent them out there for the shootout, which I think shows a lot of confidence in your youngsters, or at least saying, like, you have the ability to go out here and either win the game or fail. And if you fail, it doesn't really matter because not everyone's going to make your, you know, the shot. Like, it's okay. Um, I did see, though, people complaining about Barkley Goodrow. And I just think that this is more of my, st- where I want to go with this as a statement is if all you're doing right now is bitching about Barkley Goodrow. I think that means that the team is in a decent position. That's all. Uh, Goodrow's been bad as the three. Yeah, sure. But I think I what mean, I saw was that yeah. people are complaining that Goodrow is uh, your Buchnevich, um replacement. And that's not what it is. And it's it's actually just frustrating to me from like I feel like just protective and not of Barkley Goodrow necessarily but almost of the Rangers in that situation like you're Sammy Blay was the the player in the trade okay well you can't find any fault with him now because he's injured so you're going to be pissed off about Barkley Goodrow like no and I said this to Rob earlier but like the it's it's Capo Caco is your Bujanavich replacement you know like this is they were putting money on Cabo Caco developing this year and he had one really good game and I don't want to say that oh he's like there now but it's promising and I just think if that's all you have to complain about at this point like okay then you're in pretty good shape and just you know take five steps back and recognize that that's that's really yeah well I, I agree with that especially in the sense that this is on the heels of, again, two good games that hopefully serve as a template, you know, moving forward. And Dave, you had a really interesting piece, and I'd, I'd love for you to maybe talk through it, you know, for folks who might not have read the, read it on the blog, but this was spurred by, I think, a conversation we were having um, on the in the kind of group chat. Um, all of Gallant's teams, his first year with Florida, with, I, I don't know if we looked at Columbus, but with Florida and Vegas, uh, his teams had very similar starts. Now, what's really interesting about Vegas, if you look at it, that first season they had some pretty ugly underlying numbers, but they started 8-1. and one. The only game they lost was to the Rangers on Halloween, and that game, ironically, I think saved Elaine Vigneault's job in the short term. Oh, it that, 100% that saved his job. Yeah. I remember that vividly because yeah. the Rangers should not have won that game, and they no, did. No, they should not have. 
And that was by far Vegas's best process game, if you will, of that stretch. So, you know, look, I think right around game 15, though, if you look at Gallant's teams, is when they start to figure it out. And here we are, 15 games in. The Rangers are 9-3-3. Three, and three. Um, but, but like I said, Dave, maybe you could just walk us through that piece a little bit because I think what, what we found was and what you found was, was pretty interesting. I'm actually trying to pull it up now. For the people who are looking to read it, it's, the title is When Will We See the Real Rangers? And basically what I did was the argument we've been using for the Rangers and not to panic has been it's a new coach, new system. you got to give it time. Ten games is not enough, especially when you spent most of that without your without two of your top six forwards. And then as soon as you got healthy, you lost another top nine. And now you just lost another top nine. And you, the team's never been healthy. Yeah, depth yeah. issues aside. But the point is, it takes time and injuries exacerbate this. So the 2014-2015 Florida Panthers were Gallant's first year with the Panthers. And Rob, it was around game 20 when they hit a low point, and I'm just noticing a typo in this. I said hit a lot point, and it should be hit a low point. <laughs> awesome. So you look at their rolling averages for expected goals and for Corsi shot attempts, and they crater around game 20, and then all of a sudden they skyrocket. And they hit roughly where they've been. They hit... Roughly a, looking at this, slightly above 50% average, if I'm eyeballing this right, both expected goals for and expected goals for percent and Corsi 4% from basically game 20 on. Their full season numbers were not good because they cratered so bad early in the season. Vegas was a little bit of an odder team because... They were all veterans created from an expansion draft. They didn't really have the best process, but the 20-game marker is right around the time when everything started to even out. You saw less volatility in their play, and you knew what they were. Mm-hmm. So, where at? what are the Rangers now? 9-3-3? Three, and three? Yep. Yeah, 15 games in. 15 games. So, another five games... And luckily for the Rangers, they have some bad teams coming up. Granted, the Ottawa game has been postponed. You know, 20 games in, they're banking points. You'll start seeing consistent process. And maybe then you'll start seeing some roster holes getting addressed, such as injury depth, which is something I've really beaten beaten to death lately. And they definitely need another right winger. They definitely need somebody who's better than Jared Tenorti or Libor Hayek on the as the seven D. But that's all minor stuff. You know, you got to let it balance out. And that was the whole point of that post: is patience. Let it happen. And basically, Thanksgiving Eve against the Islanders is game twenty. Now game nineteen because the postponed game. Black Friday against the Bruins. Uh. That's your turning point. (laughs) Yeah, well, and and it's really interesting, actually, you know, Dave, to think about the schedule and another factor that, and look, no fan wants to hear this, and and for good reason, but the Rangers have had a brutal road-heavy schedule. They've already done two extended Canada trips 
one of them out west. Um, you know, they did the Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver swing. Um, they went through the Toronto buzzsaw, won the game, but, you know, had to play the Canadians in Ottawa on the road. Canadians in, in, in Montreal is never easy. So they had, you know, I think it was nine of their first 13 were on the road. They were definitely a tired team, and that showed in the Florida game. Now, they again, they won because Igor Shesterkin literally went God mode, and that was great. And I think we will look back on the first month and a half of this season and be thankful because this is going to be a tight playoff race. Carolina is a machine. Washington is defying father time. The Islanders will be there. The only place that the Rangers may luck out is that Pittsburgh looks like they're falling off a cliff finally. And we wait, we're, we've been waiting 15 years, you know, about five years for that. God, I hate um, Crosby. You know, since their most recent Cups. Nobody but, deserves this um, more than I'm Crosby. Su- Good Lord. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sick of him and I'm sick of Malkin and I'm sick of all of them. Um, Malkin is one they, they ugly dude. Finally... Throwing that out there. He is an <laughs> yeah. ugly dude. Well, and look... I, he hasn't played yet, so maybe when he plays, they come back. My point is that we all know the Metro is a buzzsaw, but you know what? What is really interesting in hockey stat miner? I know we're going to be hearing from his attorneys, as he said on Twitter, because I'm going to cite the tweet. Um, although you know it's a free website, and he put it out there. So here's here's the tweet: In the salary cap era, teams that earn greater than 20 points in their first 15 games have made the postseason 84 percent of the time. So that's 59 out of 70 teams that you know that have done that um that excludes the shortened seasons due to lockouts and i guess COVID. um i don't want to read the list of teams but there have been notable teams that have missed the playoffs after having starts with records like nine three and three ten three and two eleven and four etc etc but you know this is to me a pretty good sign because again it's going to be a tight playoff race every single game from basically January 15th on is going to feel huge and the Rangers will look back thankful that they that they got those points but um to that point about knowing who the Rangers are Dave I think we saw you know extended glimpses of that this past weekend and um the Devils game was about as you said as a consistent a 60 minute effort that they've put together this season it was pretty much good news all around obviously there's going to be breakdowns that's why you have your goaltenders. And hey, you know what? Alex Georgiev has taken a lot of flack, rightfully so. He hasn't been very good. He played a really solid game, came up with a couple of huge saves, the ridiculous Scorpion save in the shootout, and he got a much-needed uh, and well-earned win as well. So, that I mean, it was all good news from Sunday night. Um, Becky, do you have any final thoughts on that before we, before we move no, on? No, I think I agree. And I think just, you know, to expand on Georgiev, like, he is our backup for better or worse. So the more confidence he built, like, look, we all know he's not good, you know, capital G good. But Ben Waller can do can work wonders with most goalies and he's our backup for better or worse. And so for him to have, you know, a win like that, that can instill some confidence in him, especially in a long shootout, like good. You know, that's that's good. Unless we forget he punched Tony D'Angelo in the face. Okay, lest we forget. He sure did. And that makes him a, a Rangers legend, for sure. Uh-huh. Um, His number should be retired for that. <laughs> Although I'm sure that's going to piss off a lot of people who are going to listen. But you know what? I don't give a fuck. Explicit. Well, listen. I mean, we're I think we've established this opinions. is an explicit podcast at this point. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we need to keep calling it out. Um you know, we do want to keep it family friendly where we can. You know, I'd like the kids to be able to listen to it as well. But, you know, listen, we get heated. It's uh, 
we care about the Rangers, right? So, um, no, I, you know, I, I agree. And, and look, you need your backup now. Igor Shesterkin cannot play 70 games, 68 games. It is not how it works. He will burn out either in March or April or, God willing, the playoffs. Not God willing burning out, but God willing they make it. You need a solid backup that can play a third of the games. That's the recipe. A lot of teams even go more like a 60-40 split. But you need a guy who can at least play 27, 28, 30 games. And can Georgiev be that? Be that? I mean, he's got a lot of work to do. Um, we'll see how that pans out. But good for him for getting that win on Sunday night. Um, all right. I want to move on to the, 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 the two most important young players on the Rangers roster. So I'm not counting Adam Fox, who's already established himself as a star. I'm not talking about Keandre Miller or Niels Lundqvist. But Alexi Lafreniere and Capococco, who obviously uh, first and second overall picks, respectively, um, for better or worse, I'll say this, and I don't know if you guys agree with me, but if this team is going to fulfill its potential and and win a Stanley Cup, which is what the plan is here, you know, we, we joke about not knowing Drury's plan, but somewhere at the end of that plan, there is a Stanley Cup or more, we hope, um, more than one. These guys have to become what they were drafted to become, which is legitimate top scoring wingers in the National Hockey League. Now, that comes in all different shapes and sizes. And I think one of the things that frustrates me is when I talk to people who are are frustrated by Lafreniere and Kako is they hear that and they expect Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl or Austin Matthews and not all of these top players, even if they're drafted first overall, are that. You know, Connor McDavid is a truly generational, maybe once in a lifetime type of player. Um, Austin Matthews is the most gifted goal scorer since Alex Ovechkin. Those players are once every 15, once every 20, once every 40 years. The other guys who go at the top of the draft can become big time players in their own right without looking like they are easily dominating a professional sport. So, you know, for me, I think I just wanted to sort of start this discussion with, I think they're both going to be very good players, but it may not look like what we think it's going to look like or what we hope it's going to look like, if that makes sense. I mean, Capo Caco is not, you know, a gifted skater, right? So he's not going to blow by anybody and score a bunch of breakaway goals. Can he become a power forward that scores 30, 35 goals a year? I think so, but he's got a lot of work to do to get there. Um, you know, the one that's a little bit more concerning or, or I think, uh, interesting to me is Lafreniere. I really don't know what type of player he is yet. And I mean, Dave, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. I mean, out of the two, who do you feel more confident about fulfilling their potential? If you had to pick one now, obviously, again, we're hoping both of them do, but you know, who do you think is more, uh, likely to become a true star in the NHL for the Rangers? Is it, is it Lafreniere or is it Kako? You see, that's a loaded question because what their potential is and what a star is is very subjective. I mean, right? Kako projects, or at least projected during his draft year, to be more of an Alex Barkov. And mm-hmm. you know, Sasha Barkov didn't come into his own until year three, year four. Yeah, this is Kako's first... This is technically Kako's third season, but he's only played a hundred and he's not waiver eligible yet, so he hasn't played he hasn't played 150 games yet. 
So, yeah, it's his third season, but he's only played a hundred and change games. I think it's 130, give or take. So, technically, by games played, he's in his second, and he hasn't missed games due to injury. This is just COVID-shortened season times one, and then they salvaged the season last year. So, I don't know what people are expecting. Kako's a second-year player. He will get there, but I don't think he has the skill set to be a superstar in this league. He is not the best skater. He still hesitates when he shoots, but eventually you can work that out. There are a lot of little nuances to his game that Connell has called out, that I've called out, and the one that I really like to focus on is how he receives passes too close to his body. That's an that's a Euro hockey ice kind of a thing where you have an extra two seconds to receive that in, look and make your decision on what you're going to do. In the NHL, they're on top of you. you got to receive it with outstretched hands and already know what your options are, know where your teammates are going to be, and figure it out. We saw, bef- I'm trying to remember which goal this was, where he hesitated. He had the puck on a stick and he hesitated. Was this, I don't think this was the Devils game. It definitely wasn't the Columbus game. So maybe it was the Florida game. Where yeah, maybe. he had a he wide had a open look. In that game. He had a wide open look and he just didn't fire it. And I'm not sure if that's a confidence thing. If that's just how he received the puck. Maybe we didn't see it was on edge. Maybe we didn't see that. But there are little things like that to his game where he's got to work them out. Lafreniere, on the other hand, is much more skilled. Much more fluid with the puck. Much better skater. Much better shot. And again, he's yep. really only, he's still technically by games played in his rookie season. I mean, if I had to pick one, it would be Lafreniere. That was a very long... That was a lot of words to say Lafreniere. No. No, but that's... <laughs> I appreciate it. No, that was really... It makes a lot... It makes a lot of sense. And I think Kako has slowly adjusted to the North American game and has done so effectively again his defense his away from the puck play his his board battles and puck retrieval and puck possession are all very very good which is a good sign for a young kid who has also now added a a bunch of size and muscle I mean he's become kind of organically the exact type of rugged power forward that the Rangers have seemed to prioritize especially in the the wake of of last year and the type of player that they that they seem to like I mean Kako fits that to a T um but yeah, I mean, Becky, I'd like to hear your answer as well. I mean, you know, who do you think has who do you think has the higher ceiling? I guess is another way to put it, right? Is it Kako or is it or is it Lafreniere? I think from a pure like talent perspective, it's probably Lafreniere. I also, though, just am uh, going to extend my positivity train right now and say that I feel really confident in both of them. Um, like a proud. Oh, don't be that couple, Becky. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm strange. Um, I feel really confident in both of them. I don't know. I just like, and you know, it was fun to watch them break out. And I do feel like, you know, after, and and listen, I'm just going by like what I'm 
seeing and how I'm interpreting things. And if I'm using rose colored glasses, then like, sure, I'm going to have a different interpretation than perhaps what truly is there. But I felt really encouraged by the fact that Gallant put them both out there for the shootout. And that like Mm -hmm. just says to me that and like the way Gallant talks in the post game too, like it's just it's pretty loose. And I think like, okay, AV was pretty loose. I'm really depressed that I'm talking about AV two weeks in a row, but he was pretty loose. But that felt more like he wanted the reporters to like like him and think he's like buddy, buddy. I don't really get that feeling from Gallant. I just feel like he tries to keep the locker room fairly loose and like doesn't try to make it like a death grip. If you mess up, you know, you're going to be benched forever. And like, I'm never going to let you hear the end of it, you know? Um, I will say, and I'm just like looking at McKinnon, like Nathan McKinnon's hockey reference. And he had a really shitty first four year. I mean, not a, his, his, his rookie year was real, was obviously very good. But then his next three years were not good. I mean, 38 points in 64 games, 52 points in 72 games, 53 points in 82 games. Like, yeah, it's decent, but it's not what you expect. And so I think there's just and this is just one example of one superstar in the league that, you know, then went on to have 97, 99, 93 point seasons like it's not. Oh, and he had 93 points in 69 games in 2019 to 20. Nice. So like he it like it, you need to give it a little bit more time and I get that it's weird especially now because like we had the covid shortened season and I don't even freaking know how many years it is anymore. I think Chris Kreider's still a rookie, so I whatever. Like he's definitely winning the Calder this year. <laughs> I just think the point I'm trying to get to is if you're going to write off certain players in like their first second third year of like abbreviated seasons then I just don't think that that's the most uh like rational way to think about it totally and I mean you know it's I'm glad you pulled up McKinnon's stats and look you know you could do this all day you could sort of handpick guys who um struggled but but I did the same while you know Dave and I'm glad you brought up uh, Barkov as sort of a comparable to Kako, even though Barkov is a center, obviously. Um, I think they had very similar output in in the uh, Finnish elite league, right, in their pre-draft years um, as young pros playing against, you know, uh, against men, right, in a, in, in a top professional league. Um, so that's kind of a natural comparison. I also pulled up Huberdo because uh, Jonathan Huberdo is considered one of the closest comparables for Alexi Lafreniere. Now, people said the name Crosby because of Lafreniere's uh, scoring output in the QMJHL, but he's not really anything like Sidney Crosby stylistically. He's a lot more like Huberdeau. Um, And again, just I think Huberdeau is a great case study, so is Barkov, but particularly Huberdeau for Lafreniere, because, by the way, both guys were coached by Gerard Gallant early in their careers. And... um, Huberto is a very interesting case study. So he wins the rookie of the year in 12-13. He has 31 points in 48 games. His next season, massive sophomore slump, 28 points in 69 games. But then the following year, which is 2014-15, I believe that's Gallant's first season with Florida, right, Dave? Yep. 14-15? Yeah. He had 54 points. His ice time jumped by over a minute. 
And I think he was on his way to becoming the player that he is now, which is a point per game over a point per game player the last you know few years. So, um, but it took time. It took to his third season with a coaching change. Um, for Barkov, it took him a good three seasons. Um, McKinnon, it took kind of four. You know, and I think that's really when you can make these determinations with these players. You know, you have to give them three or four full seasons. And also, as you said, Dave, you have to factor in the COVID shortened seasons. Um, I know you said, you know, you're right. Kako has not had any major injuries, but he has had badly timed injuries. You know, he he was out, I think, in game three of this season after having a pretty decent first couple of games. I mean, I know he, he hit a post early in the Dallas game, I want to say, Um but then he was he was out in the next game against Montreal. You know, he got hurt by uh, by Romanov and, and missed five or six games. He got COVID last year after a, a pretty good stretch where he was just starting to find his footing. Um, I think Gallant, having kept him on the line with Panarin and Strom, even though that line did struggle until very recently, was huge for his confidence. And I think Gallant knows, and this is the subtle difference between him and David Quinn, even though David Quinn was supposed to be the guy that understood like young players and the tailored approach um, and how to relate to, you know, and coach young guys through their struggles. I think Gallant knows that Lafreniere is more mentally capable of handling a demotion and reduced ice time than Capo Caco is. I think he knew that of the two, Caco's the guy to give the longer leash to, you know, because of his past kind of confidence issues because he's one of those guys who, you know, look, he wears his heart on his sleeve, right? He's, he's a little bit similar to Pavel Buchnevich in that regard. I mean, Buchnevich is famous for, you know, looking like his, like, like his puppy died on the bench after missing a, a scoring chance. Um, you know, I think Kako is kind of a very similar guy in that regard. So personality wise. So, you know, I think Gallant sticking with him on the Panarin and Strom line was huge for his confidence. And I think that that line now needs to stay together. Personally, I, you know, I think there, there's other adjustments that they are going to have to look at making with injuries and such. We're going to talk about that in a second here. But, um, you know, I think that that was really good by Gallant. Um, I'll actually say that I think I think, I think think Kako is going to fulfill his potential. Like I said, I just don't think it's going to look like what, um, we, what, what maybe we thought when he was first drafted second overall. But... I really like his game, and I think he's going to start scoring a lot of goals. Um, I think it's coming very, very soon. Um, but, you know, look, I mean, the the sky is not falling, even if both of them have subpar seasons this year. I think you've got to give it another couple of years before you declare either of them uh, a bust. Um, any other thoughts on Kako and Lafreniere, or should we move on to our fan questions? Because we got a lot of them. The quickest way to get blocked is to come into my mentions on Twitter and just say, oh, yeah, they're both busts. Like, just just stop. Just stop. (laughs) Smoke some weed. It's It's legal now. Relax. It's okay. (laughs) Well, yeah, either that or you're stirring the pot, which I think a lot of people like to stir the pot when it comes to to these guys. You could also just take a Um, shot and pretend that the Ranger game is on. Hashtag NY. Hashtag NYR shot club. Thank you. Sorry, I Shout think I out. cut you off. Oh, no, I was going to say it wrong, so I'm glad you did that. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag. Uh, so let's get to the, the, the Twitter stuff because we had a lot of great questions come in. And actually, I want to start with one that is not related to the Filipino stuff because we did a poll. There's a whole bunch to talk about here, but actually relates to what we were just talking about with Kako. Um, I know where I fall on this, but I'd love to get your guys' thoughts. 
This comes from Jason Geisengeim, I believe is how you say that. Um, should Kako be moved away from Panarin since both seem to be at their best with the puck on their stick? Interesting question. Dave, you, I'll let you go first. Oh, this is a timing thing. If you got me last week, I, I was going to say yes because I was on this tangent where I thought Panarin and Strom needed a north-south guy, somebody like Barclay Goodrow. And I think we've actually gone through this on the podcast, too. And I thought that was a better skill set match, even though Goodrow is not the best offensive player. He's the corner guy. He's Jesper Faust. He's Colin Blackwell. And they like that kind of player on their line. But lately, ever funny enough, ever since Rob Luker wrote that Rangers Trends post early November... That trio has been clicking. They're over a 50% expected goal share now. Kako had an 81.3% expected goal share against the Devils. <sighs> yeah, he was dominant. I, he was dominant. Yeah, I, I think now it's a no. I think you keep them together. It works. Becky? Um, I mean, I, I kind of am in the same camp as Dave. Like, I feel like... Because it clicked so well over the weekend, like I say no, but I think it's fluid. I don't think that that's necessarily at the end of the season. You can't like I. I wouldn't say that you could bank on me having the same opinion in two months or three months. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, Gallant has said in the media, uh, which I think is atypical of NHL coaches. Uh, regarding his lines, he doesn't like to change them. He's he's kind of on record saying, I think it's better if you can keep them together. I think he gives his lineup a longer leash than a lot of coaches in the NHL, which which works well with young players, right? Because you're not yo-yoing guys all over the lineup. Um, but sure, I mean, things are absolutely fluid. And, and I think long-term, you know, you might be right, Dave, especially if, if there is, a, a you know, an upgrade made at right wing maybe it's a type of guy who does slot in more naturally with Panarin and Stroman and then that you know enables you to put Kako potentially with Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider who knows kind of how that all shakes out but um we'll see right now that that trio certainly looks good and and I think we can expect them to keep cooking together for the foreseeable future um the next few questions were um all relating to Philip Heedle's impending return from injury. So Heedle is very likely, and this podcast is coming out on Wednesday, although we are uh, recording it Monday night. Um, so we'll probably have some answers to this by the time you listen to it. But I think w- focusing on a couple of things here, um, there's a long-term question about Philip Heedle as to whether or not he's better suited as a center, which is clearly an area of organizational need, or on the wing for now a team that has had no right wing depth at all, or I think we just say wing depth in general, which then took a further hit with Sammy Blaze injury on Sunday night against the Devils, uh, result of a very you know dirty play by by PK Subban. I think we've all seen it, and we don't need to talk about it, but it was it was pretty filthy, and he has a history. Um, looks like Blaze is going to be out for a while. So, um, you know, I, I mean, let's just let's just kind of start there. What is Filipito? Is he you know, a, a center and should the Rangers really just commit to sticking him there and fill the holes on wing from outside of the current roster? Or do you move Heedle to the wing and worry about center later? Um, 
Becky, I'll start with you on that. Where where do you like Heedle in this lineup? I think he was just clicking before he got injured. I don't necessarily think it's the best idea to move him, um, especially when centers are much more difficult to come by than wings. You know, I say that now, but we obviously have a need for them. But I, I don't – I just feel like if you have a center, I know it's easier to go from – center to wing then wing to center um but i don't uh, i think it makes more sense to allow him to continue developing there especially when he was looking great before he got hurt and then just we have tools that we can make a trade for a wing and just let's just do it let's just you know sammy blay is hurt and it's gonna be a while so let's just you know pull the trigger chris drury I will never understand people that want to move a center who is a good center, a good middle six center, to the wing when wings are, especially middle six wingers, more or less a dime a dozen. They're not hard to find. Heedle is a good center. We've seen last year how this team shit the bed when he was out. I think he broke his hand last year, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And the team shit the bed. The the Rangers don't have center depth in the AHA. Morgan Barron. They have a they have Lori Potuniemi, who's basically in the same spot as Barron right now. But if you're moving Heedle to the wing, your three C right now is not gonna be Morgan Barron. It's gonna be Barclay Goudreau, and he's looked like shit in that yep. role. Yep, yep, yep. I'm sorry. Like Gar- Goudreau yeah. can fill in here and there in a pinch great he seems like he's a trooper and i really am anxious to see how his trends change when the rangers figure it out and when they get healthy and when he's not playing center but he's not a center heedle's a center stop trying to make fetch happen (laughs) so i mean i'll offer the counterpoint even though i think you've both convinced the counterpoint is wrong (laughs) sorry it's wrong well but here so with, with Sammy Blay out, who's playing right wing with Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider? Because it's <laughs> not going to be Alexi Dryden Lafreniere. Hunt. Now you could say, yep, yeah, Dryden Hunt. Rob Where's, Luger wants like, Dryden Rob Luger Hunt. literally that right spoke now. that into existence. I, I can't. Uh, it, I, he did. Um, you could move Kreider to the right wing. He's very confident player right now to the point where he's dangling backhanders for shootout goals, which is a thing I don't think we ever – would have thought we'd have seen in our lifetime. Um, he's a very confident player. I think this system very clearly suits him. He is a Gerard Gallant type player to a T, um, and he can just go do his thing. I don't think which side of the ice he plays on really matters. So then you're putting uh, Lafreniere up to um, the left wing on on Mika Zibanejad's line, which which I think I think if you're gonna go that route, then yes, you keep you keep Heedle at center, but. I'm intrigued by Heedle on the wing only as a fit for that line. You know, kind of as a secondary playmaker off of Zabanajad, who's more of like a, you know, play defense and push the puck off up the ice kind of guy. And then he's a finisher. You know, Heedle's kind of got a good mix of both. Um, and he's a big body. I, I just think that could be something that could really work and could give the opponents uh, a lot of trouble, especially, I mean, that's, that is another big line at that point too. I mean, Mika is the smallest guy on that line. Heedle's a train. Kreider's huge and fast. So I'm intrigued by what that line might look like, I think is the reason that um, 
I might be amenable to seeing what what Heedle looks like on the wing when he gets back. But as you both so eloquently uh, said just a couple of minutes ago, that leaves you with Barkley Goodrow as your third line center, which is just not going to get you anywhere. I mean, he's pretty much an offensive black hole um, at this point. I don't think we can expect much offense from him at all this season. He's just not that type of player. He's best served as kind of like the defensive forward on a third line to make sure that that line, if there are young scorers on it, you know, has a little bit of balance or a grinder on the top line. Um, but I hate him on the right wing with Zabatajad and Kreider. So, um, Look, I mean, I think this is a larger issue with the Rangers. I think they do need to make a move. I, I think there's going to need to be a trade made and soon. You know, I don't think this is something that can wait until the deadline um, because as you've detailed, Dave, they just don't have the depth to make to, to eventually it's going to catch up to them. You know, I think is the point. You know, they can call up McKegg and he could fill in for a few games. Maybe Barron gets an extended look, but but they just don't seem to have the depth. Um if they want to stay with their head above water in the Metro throughout, throughout a long season. So um, we'll see. I do want to shout out the uh, fans who gave us those Heedle questions. Uh, Sorry, I didn't read them all, but they kind of were all the same question. Bill to spill, uh, of course, a regular contributor here, Uh, JB sports 22 and Sprex and Y all asked uh, some variation of the, what would you do with Philip Heedle question? Um, Last question. Uh, came from the Terranator. I sort of answered this one already, so I'm just going to defer to you guys on it, but I think it's a good question anyway. Why do you think Kako has gotten more leash uh, than Lafreniere? They've both struggled this season, but Gerard Gallant hasn't moved Kako down the lineup, whereas he has um, done so with Lafreniere. So, Becky, why do you think that's the case? And, you know, why does Kako have a little bit of a longer leash right now? I don't, I don't know, but I think... And again, this is just me, my two cents, and could be 1,000% wrong. I think that when you in, when you listen to a Lafreniere interview, he's like a little bit of a, well, like a bit of a whack job. Like, I mean that in an extremely endearing way. I don't mean that in any kind of negative context. But he said, like, I don't care how much time I got. I just love to play. And when I play, like, I try to do the best I can do and whatever. And so it really might just be... Like that his personality type allows for him to play fewer minutes and not lose any kind of confidence where maybe Kako, if you reduce his minutes, would really be a confidence bust and like kind of be counterproductive. I don't I don't really know. I don't really have an answer because I I really like we know that Galan has gotten defensive when asking about Lafreniere in general, too. But he also is saying all the right things about trying to like protect his players. So I just I don't think it's as simple as like. Gallant just likes Kako better <laughs> or like Gallant sees a higher ceiling for Kako than for Lafreniere but I, I don't know Dave I'm gonna send it to you I mean we actually did ask this to Vince Mercagliano on Twitter and for those who didn't see the exchange I kind of want to read that and take it for what you will Vince said that this exact question has been asked about why Lafreniere is not back on the first line, why he pulled him off that line, and there were basically two answers. The first one was he needed more out of Laffey, in quotes. And then he moved him off the first line, that third line of Laff, Heedle, and Blay turned out to be pretty good. Gave them a little bit more Mm -hmm. balance in the lineup. 
three scoring lines is great. That line was fine now. Obviously, Heedle and Blay are hurt. That doesn't work. And then the other thing was positionally, Gallant said both Laugh and Kreider are more comfortable at left wing. And that that was also another factor. I don't know how much I buy that. These are professional hockey players. Playing on your off wing really shouldn't be that big of a deal. And Kreider looked pretty comfortable there. I mean, that that trio had a uh, decent expected goal share when they were together early in the that season. Is- it was. It wasn't bad. Yeah, right? it was more. It was more than decent. Yeah, more than decent. It was. It was like sixty percent. They were. They were the best line. I think, other than the fourth line. Okay. Fourth line was very good. Then it was the. It was the Mika Kreider, um, Lafreniere line, and that was with Kreider on right wing. You're, you're right. Um, and that was Rob on the podcast last week said he would put that line back together. That's that was one of his recommendations to Gerard Gallant, which you know clearly weren't listened to. But we won't take that personally. <laughs> I'm 87% sure they don't listen to the podcast. That's very negative, and I'm trying to look at things positively, David, so. (laughs) Look on the bright side. They at least know who we are on Twitter and what the blog is. All right. Well, I I just want you to remember that everyone listens to the podcast. Thank you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Sorry. Sorry. Don't want to upset Becky. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But But anyway. It is. It's an... Yeah, go no continue. You gotta put him on the first line at some point. He's your number one overall pick. You gotta give put the whole point was to get him and Kako ice time. Put him back on the first fucking line. Show that they're capable of replacing Pavel Bushnevich so I can stop fucking seeing these charts of Pavel Bushnevich in my Twitter mentions every goddamn day. Yeah. I think, you know, Ranger fans have always had a hard time letting go of former players. And I think, you know, unfortunately, that that's a, a feature, not a bug uh, here in the Ranger fan experience. But I agree uh, with you as well. I would reunite that trio. I think from Gerard Gallant's perspective, this is now a chance to reward Alexi Lafreniere for a pretty strong game against, against the Devils. He obviously scores the power play or, or what power play just expired but it was essentially a power play goal um and it was not a pretty goal he dove into the crease basically at the last possible minute and whacked the puck home it was sitting on the goal line but good awareness you know weak side post that's you know steve valiquette likes to say there's a goal scorers know how to find that open spot and be there right when the puck gets there and there's a lot of easy tappings to be found if you're if you're sitting there which is where lafreniere was last night uh or on sunday night to get his goal so um i think you know just Look, and I, and I think I said this to Vince on, you know, in our little exchange on Twitter, comfortable is one thing, but at some point, as you said, Dave, they're pro athletes and their comfort is superseded by the need of the team. And the need of the team may be for one of those guys to step up and play some right wing because of all the injuries. Um, so we'll kind of see how that unfolds. Uh, it should be an interesting week. As you said, Dave, Saturday's game against Ottawa has been postponed. Ottawa has had a COVID outbreak. They've postponed their uh, next three games. So the Rangers get a little a little bit of a break there. They were due to play six games and nine nights with two back-to-back sets in there. Um, they now lose one of those back-to-backs, um, you know, as they, they can now focus on Montreal coming to the Garden, or, or they will have played Montreal when you heard this on Tuesday, and then a trip to Toronto on Thursday. So should be an interesting week. Um, and then we get into the, uh, you know, difficult part of the schedule, as we mentioned earlier, with a couple of games against the Islanders. 
Black Friday against Boston, which is always a party. That'll be on national television too. So should be an interesting one. But before we wrap up, Dave, one more question. It was asked on the podcast last week. You were not around, but Connell wants to know what everybody's favorite cocktail is. Now the parameters are, it can't just be neat liquor or, or, or a, you know, single regular liquor on ice has to be a mixed drink of some sort. So please tell us what is your go-to cocktail? You know, that's, those are some bullshit parameters, Connell, for starters. I, well, you love scotch. Right? I, drink, I drink scotch like it's water at this point. Um, that's probably not necessarily a good thing. Hashtag NYR Sock Club. Please drink responsibly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love scotch. I, but you know what? When I'm out, Scott, when I'm out to dinner, scotch is always like, $35 a glass and I'm sorry I'm not paying that so I'll usually go with the good old fashioned you know I don't need to get the best kind of bourbon you give me bullet old fashioned it's usually 10-12 bucks which on Long Island isn't that bad of a price and I'm fine with that And I, I those are other drinks that I can drink like water if I need to so yeah, I'll, I'll go old-fashioned. So when Rob Luger comes into New York City, we'll have to have you guys go out for some old-fashions because that he said that as well. All right, I will. I listen. I will never turn down brown liquor. Tequila. It's a problem. Yeah. Tequila is not brown. Tequila is gold. Okay. Well, I need. I need yeah, like a, a actual like list of then what brown liquor is that just whiskey? So like bourbon. Whiskies. Basically just whiskeys. What about You're Fireball? About that's technically bre- brown. It's a whiskey. It's cinnamon whiskey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on, Becky. Listen, Come I don't on. drink. I really don't. In all fairness, the alcohol consumption has gone down significantly once uh, my daughter was born, too. So, yeah. I mean, just anyway, think about, like, hungover I would also parenting. choose Jameson over tequila. I just want to throw that out there. Jameson over Patron or whatever tequila. Tequila's evil. I would agree I don't mind that. tequila. I'm going any kind of whiskey, even even bottom shelf swill over tequila. I just can't. Never been able to. Y'all are bitches. Anyway. Fuck off. <laughs> and that, that is how we're going to end the show. Live from the Blue Seats is a production of Blue Seat Blogs. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We're currently available on iTunes and Spotify. If you can spare a minute, please leave us a rating and a review as it helps other fans find the show. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Seats Live and check out blueseatblogs.com, the longest running fan site for all things Rangers, from news and opinion to video analysis and more. For Dave and Becky, this is Rob signing off. We will see you next week.